welcome to episode 83 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we've got our usual roundup of vulnerabilities to go through for the week. Uh, there's a couple in SnapD which are pretty interesting and then a bunch of kernel updates as well plus a few others that we're going to talk about. Uh, but the special treat this week really is the interview with uh, John Johansson and Steve Beatty from the Ubuntu security team that uh, Joe McManus uh, conducted. Uh, he talked to John and Steve about Linux security modules, uh, which obviously AppArmor is part of that, and about how, I guess, the upstream effort to make various Linux security modules uh, be able to be used concurrently so that you can have multiple things making potentially different access control decisions at the same time. So that's coming up a bit later, but yeah, let's first get into the usual roundup of vulnerabilities fixed in the past week for the supported Ubuntu releases. So this week, there were 24 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. First up, we had an update for libvpx in uh, Ubuntu 14.04 Extended Security Maintenance. So if you are an Extended Security Maintenance customer or if you've enabled that uh, on your own machine for personal use, uh, this will apply to you. In particular, libvpx is used for uh, decoding of WebM uh, videos, uh, you know, the VP8, VP9 uh, video codecs. And in this case, there was just a bunch of different uh, out-of-bound reads that could occur on various crafted input. So the kind of thing that would just cause uh, the application that was using the VPX to crash. So they were fixed, as I said. Uh, then next up, we had updates for SnapD. So these applied to Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support, and actually for Ubuntu 19.10, so probably one of the last uh, updates we've done for Ubuntu 19.10, as that is, as I mentioned last week, now um, reached its end of life. And you should, if you are running Ubuntu 19.10, upgrade to Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. Uh, but yeah, uh, I digress. So these were, um, in particular, the first one actually was discovered by James Henstridge from the Ubuntu desktop team. And actually, James is someone that uh, has been in the uh, kind of desktop Linux community for a very long time. If you're familiar with uh, GNOME, he's actually the JH in the JH build, which is the tool that's used for uh, kind of building uh, all the different GNOME bits from Git when you're doing uh, development for GNOME. And so uh, James works, as I say, on the Ubuntu desktop team and works with SnapD. And he discovered an issue where um, strict mode snaps would be able to escape from the SnapD sandbox. So what happens when uh, SnapD launches a snap? Um, it then sets up a bunch of uh, AppArmor profiles and uh, setconf filters and various things uh, to restrict where the snap can access. Basically, as I say, to put that snap sandbox around it. Uh, so part of that is, you know, a snap may actually then want to launch something like, um, say, the help viewer. So say if you're in GNOME, you know, you press F1 in an application and it pops up help for that particular app. And it does that by launching a thing called uh, Yelp. And that has, you know, particular pages that it knows for each different application. But that's launched from on the host system. And obviously, we don't want the snap to be able to launch arbitrary binaries on the host system because that escapes confinement. But actually, James found a way that you could do that within uh, the sandbox. The way that happens uh, in uh, the SnapD world is that you call xdgopen, which is the standard um, binary that's used for you know opening random URLs. In this case, you know a help colon slash slash URL would go to that, and then that would spawn uh, Yelp in the uh, the standard desktop. And we do something similar for SnapD, but we actually do it by providing a proxy inside the SnapD sandbox. So this is provided by uh, the user component of that, that then uses Dbus to talk to uh, the main SnapD, and then that gets launched. Um, outside the sandbox. Uh, and so the issue here was that uh, you could actually control what it would launch outside of the sandbox by using uh, some custom, uh, you'd, you'd set up basically a custom MIME type, you'd set the XDG data environment variable uh, so that then that would get looked at inside 
uh, your snap instead of actually inside the outside world. And you could launch some arbitrary binary uh, that was controlled by your snap, so within the snap itself, but outside of confinement. And so that essentially would allow the snap to escape confinement itself. Uh, so the fix for this was pretty simple. It was just to make sure we weren't including the XDG data uh, environment from the snap itself. So something that the snap could control uh, within you know, the main runtime outside. Uh, so yeah, that was fixed for SnapD. Uh, and there was a second issue too, where um, SnapD, or actually it was an issue kind of primarily with cloud in it, which is a component that is uh, developed by Canonical and uh, now a bunch of other industry uh, participants that is used to particularly configure cloud images before they run or as they run. But it's also used in um, some different Ubuntu core devices and the like, so that we can you know, configure the images at first boots. Uh, the problem with this is that it would run on every boot without restriction. And so that would, you know, ideally it's designed to run on the first boot, get the system set up however you want it to, and then that's it. But it would actually keep getting run each time. Uh, and it would be run by SnapD. And so uh, the issue here was that CloudInit supports this concept of loading metadata from an external disk. And so if you're a local attacker and you have physical access to the machine, you could just put in a USB stick, say, with you know, the right um, metadata files on it. Uh, and that would then you know, execute the commands that you've got on there. Uh, in particular, this could be an issue if you've, say, got full disk encryption implemented on the device because you could potentially then you know, exfiltrate the disk encryption key or whatever it might be. And so... Uh, this was fixed just basically to make sure that SnapD disables cloud in it after the first boot or on any subsequent boot um, in the update. Uh, this was fixed, as I say, in SnapD. It's uh, kind of more a systems issue rather than an actual vulnerability in SnapD or in cloud in it itself. But yeah, as I say, that was fixed. And it's only an issue, um, as I say, for particularly for devices um, that employed full disk encryption. Uh, it doesn't affect the newer Ubuntu Core 20 release that does support full disk encryption uh, backed by TPM by default because that does things differently. Uh, so yeah, but that was fixed uh, for SnapD. Uh, up next, we've got kernel updates to talk about. And so we've got updates for both the kernel in Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, uh, 18.04 LTS, and 16.04 LTS. And each of these is used as the hardware enablement kernel for the previous LTS release. And so for 20.04 LTS, that's used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. Uh, this is a 5.4 based kernel. Uh, in particular, this included a fix for a possible bypass of secure boot uh, lockdown protections. And so you could do this by loading arbitrary ACPI tables via the config FS. Um, and then that gives you basically an ability to implement an arbitrary memory write kind of primitive. And then from user space, you can essentially you know, use that to then overwrite memory within the kernel, you know, turn off various restrictions and bypass the lockdown uh, confinements. Uh, there was also an issue for uh, the AUFS inode uh, reference count. Um, so in that case, you know you would get uh, and basically a negative reference count, and then you'd get a bug. So a bug on, which is like an assertion in the kernel, which then triggers uh, an oops, and basically hangs your kernel usually. So that's a denial of service. And there was also a fix for a um, crash in the relay subsystem that I talked about back in episode eighty-one. Uh, next up, we had update for the uh, kernel in Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. And again, this is used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 LTS. This also included uh, the ACPI-based uh, lockdown issue that I talked about uh, and the AUFS inode reference count issue that I just talked about. There was also a fix for a second ability to bypass uh, skew boot lockdown via uh, loading of ACPI tables again, but in this case via the SSDT EFI environment variable. Uh, so yeah, similar kind of thing. And finally, there was a fix for uh, an issue in direct uh, access to file persistent memory arrays. So that's DAX, the subsystem in the kernel. 
uh, and it's a support of huge pages. Uh, so basically you could abuse the Emery map system call to gain root privileges. Uh, this obviously does require the system to actually make use of DAX storage to be able to be exploited. So there aren't many, too many systems at the moment that support that. But yeah, if you are using DAX uh, on Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, you are a little safer now from that. Uh, we had an update then for the kernel in Ubuntu 16.04 LTS. And again, this is the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 14.04 ESM. Uh, again, this included a lot of the fixes I talked about before. So the AUFS inode uh, reference count issue. Uh, there was also the uh, ACPI lockdown bypass by the SSDT EFI variable. Uh, and there was also a bunch of fixes for various ways that uh, you could bypass the Spectre related mitigations. So if you remember, these are the um, these are the different bits put into the kernel to make sure that it is hardened against uh, speculative execution attacks. Uh, and so these can be disabled at runtime because they do have a performance impact. And so, yeah, they were uh, made sure that they are not able to be bypassed. <laughs> Uh, we had an update then for Evolution Data Server. This was for Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 LTS. And actually, this was a very similar issue to what I talked about in a couple of recent episodes that applied to both Mutt and Thunderbird. Uh, and so Evolution is, I guess, the GNOME email client. And so all of these had a very similar issue where uh, if where when setting up a TLS connection to the uh, mail server, you know, it uses start TLS. Uh, that is done in the clear, though. And so then it reads the response back from the server. And it would actually read beyond, you know, the end of um, it, would, it would read more than it needed to uh, in terms of the, the content from that. And so if you are uh, an attacker who can interpose on that connection, you can inject arbitrary responses that will then get read by evolution. And similar to the issue, as I say, that I talked about in MUT, that gets stored in a global buffer uh, that then gets processed later on uh, as though it had come from the trusted, you know, secure connection. And so you're basically able to inject you know, arbitrary content that then will get processed later on. And so, as I say, it came from the secure connection. Uh, and so this was fixed actually in a very similar way as we did for MUT by making sure that uh, we clear that buffered content when starting the TLS connection. And finally, we had an update for Pillow. So this is a Python library uh, that does imaging. It's used for image handling and by a lot of different Python GUIs. Uh, these were four different CVEs that were fixed for Ubuntu 18.04 and 16.04 LTS. And all of these, again, were out-of-bound reads on crafted inputs, so the kind of thing that would result in uh, just a crash of the application. But yeah, they were fixed for below. All right, and so that takes it to the end of this week's roundup of security updates. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, uh, this week, uh, Joe conducted an interview with John Johansson and Steve Beatty from the Ubuntu security team uh, to talk about Linux security modules, and in particular about stacking of Linux security modules and the work that's been going on that uh, upstream in the Linux kernel. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Ubuntu Security Podcast. And we have two special guests this week. We have what I think are two of the smartest people in the uh, Linux security space, and that is John Johansson and Steve Beatty. Hey, hey everyone. Hey. So oh. JJ is the app, or John Johansson, who I'll refer to as JJ from this point forward, is um, the app armor lead at Canonical. And I would so I think it's safe to say the app armor lead in general. And Steve Beatty is the um, is a manager here in the security group. And Steve runs, um, we call them our generalists, um, which are basically people who do a good bit of the security inside of all of Ubuntu and our various products. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So this week, we are going to talk about um, LSM stacking and what it is, why you want it, 
and some of the challenges it presents. So um, first off, what, what, what actually, what is LSM? So LSM is uh, the infrastructure that the Linux kernel provides for security modules. So it's uh, a set, uh, it's an API really, it's a set of hooks throughout the kernel that, uh, so function, these functions get called at various points and uh, methods or the, uh, blobs, objects, whatever you want to call them, that a security module can have some data stored on key kernel objects like files, uh, packets, stuff like that, so that it can do proper tracking of, of events in the kernel and apply the security to the objects in the kernel that the, you know, the kernel objects themselves. So that's that's what uh, the LSM is. Uh, LSM is short for Linux Security Modules. And what are the big Linux security modules? So there are, uh, so Linux Security Modules, there's several different security modules in the kernel. Um, the big ones are SE Linux, AppArmor, uh, Smack, uh, the other, what we call a major LSM would be Tomoyo, though with the latest LSM stacking patches that have landed in the kernel, it's no longer considered a major module in the sense that it can now stack, Tomoyo can now stack with the other major LSMs. Um, the, the minor LSMs in the kernel would be Yama, Loadpin, I believe KSLR, yeah, uh, concurrently stacked. That's that's landing in five eight. So you've said major start. and minor. Um, what is the difference between a major and a minor um, LSM? Okay, so the difference between a major LSM and a minor LSM is the major LSM cannot uh, currently stack with another major LSM. So, for example, SE Linux and AppArmor cannot stack in the five seven five eight kernel. The current kernels. Um, the minor LSMs are the LSMs that can be stacked with other LSMs without problems. So, for example, uh, Yama, it doesn't use any of the, uh, essentially it comes down to security blobs. It doesn't use security blobs that are hung off of kernel objects, and so it's not going to conflict with the other LSMs that are using it, using those. Right. So, so kind of back up the whole idea is that the each security module is making a decision you know some operation happens in the kernel and it either has to decide to allow it or deny it right um because se linux and app armor and the other ones the big ones have data objects right if 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 they try to both do the things at the same time and they try to operate on the same data structures they'll obviously get collisions and so that's why they can't currently stack or be uh operate at the same time Cool. Okay. So, um, uh, is the goal? I guess let's say the the goal of stacking them would be that you could have like a virtual machine inside one of the other, or a Lexi container, or a Docker, something like that, where the two SE Linux and AppArmor could 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 work together. Is that sort of the over the high level goal of of LSM stacking? Um, that's part of the goal. So the idea is to make it more generic, so that you can have any you know, we, we don't have to worry about constraints when you're you're setting up modules and our security modules, and you can split them up and have different functionality. And so, originally there was no LSM stacking at all, and so 
when YAML went into the kernel, it had to go in as its own special module instead of a security module if you wanted to be able to use any of the other security modules like SE Linux or AppArmor. And with that in mind, there was some work done to make uh, basic stacking possible, so the major minor stacking. Uh, and LSM stacking work has worked beyond, you know, trying to get beyond that basic stacking to get the full LSM stacking so that you can do any security modules stacking together. Uh, not all combinations will make sense. It seldom will make sense to say, use SE Linux and AppArmor on the same operating systems at, at the host level or whatever. So like you don't necessarily want to boot Ubuntu with SE Linux and AppArmor enforcing at the host, right? So that combination itself wouldn't make sense. But that combinations being supported in the kernel could make sense for, so like you said, an LXD container. So maybe you boot up uh, your system under AppArmor and then you run a container with Fedora in it and have that container enforcing SE Linux. Um, but there are other combinations for LSM stacking. So like I mentioned, the minor modules, you know, sort of like running AppArmor and Yama together, we already do that in Ubuntu. But uh, you could conceive of other situations where you want uh, two major modules stacking, uh, not necessarily SE Linux and AppArmor to enforce at the host level. Uh, but for example, you could extend Yama so that it can track more information on the, on the system and provide more functionality. And in that way, you would want both of those to stack together. So it it's, the goal is to make it just flexible so that we can apply it to any situation that you can find you want it to apply to. Uh, and somebody could theoretically shoot themselves in the foot and do something crazy like trying to stack Smack, SE Linux, and AppArmor all at once on their host. Uh, but, but it'd be really secure because you wouldn't be able to use it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so with um, something like... Um, AppArmor as an LSM, uh, do you have, is it sort of a set it and forget it when you're developing the kernel and the operating system or with every new release, do you have to continue to either make changes or is it, I mean, sort of how does it work with the development of, of, of an LSM and the kernel and the operating system? So the development of an LSM is you, you bake, you, you, you're doing kernel coding um, and your LSM will, you'll register your LSM module, you'll set it up kind of like a module, but it's built into the kernel and it will register itself with the LSM and declare which set of hooks that it is using. Um, and then it's just like kernel coding the rest of the kernel uh, within those hooks. Uh, you have to know your constraints. You have to know, you know, which functions you're coming from types of type things. So like whether you can, whether it's a sleepable functions, whether it's coming from interrupt context, uh, you know, that, that will govern what kind of locks you can use in the hook, uh, whether you can call certain functions. Um, and so what happens is you will get passed on these hooks, you'll get past uh, the object or some information about the operation that wants to be done. And then you need to uh, do some kind of lookup and act on that. Um, generally, uh, the LSM interface and doesn't change 
a lot between kernel releases, but the kernel doesn't keep an internal ABI stable, right? Or, or even the API necessarily. And so uh, as you go through a release, kernel release, if there is a change, you may get some changes to the function. Uh, one of the callback functions, uh, maybe the object is changing that you're working with, or uh, they've added new objects or new parameters, or even there's a new hook inserted. Very seldom does a hook location change. So all of those things you may have to respond to it, it, when you're working on a an LSM module, say like AppArmor, and you might have to update some code and do some coordination with upstream for those changes in the LSM to be able to land. So for example, with LSM stacking, LSM stacking changed the way their hooks are registered and how you have to initialize your module for the LSM. And so those changes that are part of the LSM stacking as they came about, we had to you know, review those changes and uh, get those, uh, okay those changes and work with upstream and the other LSM maintainers so that e each module in the LSM will have its own set of maintainers. So like uh, Paul Morris, the SE Linux maintainer, and I'm the AppArmor maintainer, and Casey Schaffler is the SMAC maintainer. We work together on getting larger changes that cross LSMs to, to go to, you know, so that they can go in upstream. So this seems like it's a lot of teamwork, which I think is one of the cooler things about open source. We've got all these different people working on different projects, but we're ensuring that it works together. So let me ask you this, Steve, what is the um, next big feature in, um, in AppArmor that you think would be helpful from a security perspective? Put him on the spot. <laughs> I'm gonna give him a minute to think about the answer. If JJ, if you would like to answer while Steve comes up with one, that is totally cool too. <laughs> um, so security-wise, the next really big thing that will land, it, it would be improvements in the way AppArmor deals with no new privs. So no new privs is a way for the kernel, a user space to tell the kernel that I don't want uh, any, any more privileges on this application. Um, it's a PR control. And then Currently, right now, AppArmor locks you down completely to the current, well, pretty much the current profile, current confinement. And there's cases where we can't properly do transitions. So for example, systemd is setting up uh, and using seccomp, uh, and then it'll call the PR control for this. And not only does that apply to the seccomp, but it applies to AppArmor but we need to actually be able to transition policy. And so we are going to pick up some ability to do limited transitions under specific circumstances that are controlled by policy to better support and work with uh, no new privs. And so we internally always say NNP. Does anybody else use that terminology? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, because NNP is how it's abbreviated often in the kernel. And that would be a very odd transistor, right? Negative, negative, positive. PNP. Um, yes. I'm trying to remember the last time I used one. So anyhow, Steve, did I give you enough time to come up with something as well? Uh, maybe. Um, I'm kind of. John actually pointed this out a little while ago, but the um, uh, uh, 
there was a new LSM that landed, the kernel runtime security instrumentation. It's basically eBPF for, for LSMs. Um, I think that's both interesting as an LSM itself, but it's also interesting because uh, it's for instrumentation. So it has a little bit different focus than the rest of the kind of major LSMs. And so I think it actually will help drive the eventual acceptance of LSM stacking because it's an interesting feature that other LSMs, other major LSMs will want to be able to use uh, uh, as part of what they do. Would so, you agree with that, John? Um, I, I don't know that other LSMs will want to use it, but uh, it will certainly want to be used at the same time as other LSMs. So it's a case of where you definitely want stacking. And so I do believe that it's going to help drive LSM stacking. So let me ask yes. this: How how would you how would you use that that feature that eBPF? Um, how how would like how would that how would that be used to help? I don't know, secure your box, prevent an attack, something like that. So uh, the idea behind that is eBPF is a sandboxed generic language, essentially, right? And so you can define you can write a special program and load that into the kernel and have it operate. And so it's not a, a fixed functionality. So you can ad hoc come up with new rules as long as they can work with the limited data set you're given with and given and the limited scope of the sandbox, you can come up with novel on the spot new mediation and get it loaded into the kernel and try it out, test it, put it into production even so it makes it quicker to uh, land changes or mediation that you might not be able to get into, say, AppArm or SE Linux, or not that that feature is not available. And you might eventually want to, to integrate it and move it over to AppArm or SE Linux, but it's something you could do right away as a prototype without actually getting it through the process of, you know, review for upstream AppArm or SE Linux and merging into the kernel. And if you know anything about the kernel development cycle, you know, you're looking at at least 10 weeks to get something into the kernel as you go through the various RCs and upstream review. Uh, usually it's a lot more than 10 weeks. It would certainly allow you to more rapidly uh, test certain mediations anyways. Right. I think I think KSRI, at least the the based on the tiny little bit of research I've done about it, is more it you know the instrumentation is part of the name. So it's really more about um, extending auditing and being able to write a, write ad hoc like auditing rules and and uh, so more of on the intrusion detection side of things rather than intrusion prevention. Right. Where a mandatory access control system makes a decision and says yay or nay. The instrumentation part of it, part of it, is letting you audit for events. Is it, does that match your understanding, John? Uh, that's uh, that's certainly part of what KSRI is capable of doing. Yeah, uh, it it can do more than just you know auditing events. It's it's very flexible, so you can do mediation with it. Okay. Uh, you can you can also audit events. Uh, it's it's quite interesting, and like I said, it's very dynamic. Cool. Awesome, guys. Um, I would keep this discussion going because I have more questions, but I'm afraid nobody would listen to us anymore. Um, <laughs> so uh, awesome. As always, a pleasure to have you back on the Ubuntu Security Podcast. So if folks are curious about how 
how things are done here at Canonical. You just talked to two of our, I don't know, our more senior and major contributors to security here at Canonical. So thanks for joining us, JJ and Steve. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, have a great you. week. Bye. And thanks for that, John and Steve. A fantastic interview. All right, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security@ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on uh, irc.freeno.net. Uh, we also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to start a conversation with us there. Or we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great bringing this all to you again. Uh, remember, until next time, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.